On the eleventh day of Christmas, my true love sent to me eleven pipers piping. Once, in the town of Hamlin, a peaceful morning was suddenly shattered by a shriek. A clerk, busy at his desk, had reached out to grab another stack of papers when his hand fell on something warm and furry, something that squeaked indignantly at being grabbed. Another cry was heard at the other edge of town. A baker was carrying a tray of fresh loaves when something scuttled under his foot. He tripped, causing the tray of loaves to fall to the ground where they were seized upon by little dark shapes. In the fine house of the Lord Mayor, the Lord Mayor's wife was just about to settle her baby in its crib when she found that the cradle was occupied. Four beady eyes stared up at her from the two black rats nestled among the baby's blankets. All over the town it was the same. Rats. Rats everywhere. Rats in the pantry. Rats in the larder. Rats in the kitchen. Rats in the bedroom. A maid reaching for a box on a high shelf disturbed one of the rats and had it fall on her head. A night's watchman returning home from his shift had his toe bitten by the rat that had been sleeping in his slipper. A little girl found that the former occupants of our dollhouse had been evicted and in their place had moved in a family of fat rats. No one knew where the rats had come from, but everyone knew they wanted them gone. Traps were bought, but these were clever rats, and they took the cheese without springing the trap. Cats were brought in, but the cats took one look at the town teeming with rats, turned tail and ran. There were rats everywhere. You couldn't open a cupboard or a drawer without finding more of them. The rats ate and ate. They ate the bread, they ate the cheese, they cracked the eggs and slurped out their insides. They nibbled the leather in everyone's good shoes. They even ate the wax of the candles. And what was even worse than all the nibbling and gnawing was that the rats piddled and puddled everywhere, so that the few things that they hadn't eaten were destroyed by their mess. With no supper to eat and no candles to burn, the citizens of the town sat in their beds in the dark, listening to the rats, their little clawed feet tapping away as they scurried and squirmed all over the town. In the morning they all gathered before the Lord Mayor's house, all crying out that something must be done. The rats were taking over. The Lord Mayor agreed. He himself had spent the night standing on a stool as the rats had taken over his own bed and he was too frightened to try sleeping in another one. He agreed, yes, something must be done. They would send for the rat catchers and the rat catchers came. They descended upon the town with their black hats and their clever traps and indeed so many came that it was almost like a second plague. But as I said, these were clever rats. They ran rings around the rat catchers and eventually drove them from the town instead of the other way round. Again the people assembled around the Lord Mayor's house. What should they do? Perhaps they should leave the town to the rats and go settle somewhere else. It was then a sound was heard from the edge of the town. A high, jolly sound that carried through the air. It was like the singing of a lark or the babbling of a brook. It made people want to start tapping their feet, and despite their great distress, the citizens of the town began to smile. The sound came closer, and the crowd parted so that the source of the sound could be seen. It was a man, a man dressed in black and white like a magpie. And indeed, just like a magpie, if you looked at the black long enough and the light fell just right, you saw it wasn't black at all. It was made of jewel tones of greens and blues, all woven together so close that at first sight they did look black. The magpie man was playing the pipe. When a large circle had formed around him, he took his pipe from his mouth and spoke. Though the sound of the pipe was as beautiful as the song of the nightingale, his voice when he spoke was in a raspy chitter, 
What is your problem, good people? asked the magpie man in his magpie voice. The rats! The rats! cried the Lord Mayor. Three bags of silver to whoever can rid our town of the rats! The magpie man put his head on one side and looked at the Lord Mayor out of one eye. Three bags of silver, you say? He nodded his head and lifted his pipe to his mouth again and began to play. A different tune now. A tune that, though all there heard it clearly, they could never repeat or even describe. The magpie man turned, still playing, and began to walk out of the town. The people of the town stared at him, and then, like a shot out from the Lord Mayor's house, ran a rat. And with that rat ran, others followed. A whole stream of black furry bodies, as if someone had turned on a tap, came flooding from the Lord Mayor's house from every door and window. And as the magpie man walked past the other houses, more rats joined them. A great sea of rats. The sound of their claws along the cobbled streets was deafening, but still the song of the piper played above them all. The magpie man walked through the town, playing his pipe, and behind him followed the rats. Every rat from the town of Hamlin followed him. He walked out through the town gates, past the walls, and to the river. He stood at the edge of the river, still playing his pipe, and as he played, each and every rat jumped into the fast-flowing current and was swept away. When all the rats were gone, the magpie man put his pipe away and walked back to the town. But he found the gates were shut. Good people, called the magpie man. Your rats are gone, but your gates are shut. Open your gates and give me my silver. The Lord Mayor climbed up to the top of the city wall and looked down on the magpie man. We had no formal agreement. And after all, how do we know that it was not you and your magic pipe that brought the rats to our city in the first place? I warn you, people of Hamlin, pay the piper or he shall call the next tune. The Lord Mayor waved his hand in the air. His mind was already full of the idea of having his lovely soft bed all to himself again. We have gathered together a few coppers to pay you for your troubles. Now let us see the back of you. He threw down a very small bag. It landed at the magpie man's feet, spilling out a few dingy copper coins. I warned you, people of Hamlin. Pay the piper, or he will call the next tune. Be gone with you, you dingy crow, before the guards come and drive you off. The magpie man went, and the people of Hamlin rejoiced that now they were free of the rats. But the warning lingered in the air. Pay the piper, or he shall call the next tune. The Lord Mayor's wife thought on this as she rocked her little baby in her arms. It ran round and round the head of the little girl as she played with her dollhouse, now vacated of rats. Boys in the street made a game of shouting it to one another as they raced between two posts. And then the piper returned. No longer, though, was he the magpie man. Not a scrap of black or white could be seen on his clothes, but every other colour seemed to be there. Burning gold, sky blue, sea green, blood red, and every colour above, below and between. The piper stood on a hill, looking down on the town. He lifted his pipe to his lips, and he began to play. He played a song that all heard, but though they all heard it clearly, none could ever repeat or even describe it. It was a song that set an itch to one's fingers, that made one's toes start to tap. The boys playing in the street started to dance to the tune. 
the piper came down from the hill and walked through the town, and everywhere he went children ran to follow him, all dancing to his tune. Nurseries were empty, schoolrooms deserted. The Lord Mayor's wife saw her little baby crawling out the door into the street, desperate to join in the dance. She picked up the child and brought them back into the house. The baby cried and cried and wailed and wailed, being parted from the strange, strange tune of the piper. The piper walked through the town, till all the children of Hamelin were followed in his wake. Then he walked out the gates that the people had barred to him. He walked out the gates, and the children followed. He walked into the forest, up the hill, along the river, and still the children followed. One boy was at the back. He had broken his leg and walked on crutches, and he could not quite keep up with the others. He watched them getting further and further away, though he still tried to hop faster and faster after them. But still they kept going and he could not catch up with them. He watched them get further and further away until they and the piper's song disappeared. The people of Hamlin began to search for their children. They could not find them anywhere, not in the nurseries, not in the schoolrooms, not in the corners where the boys used to play their game running between two posts. The guards were sent out to search the surrounding area. They searched the forest, they searched the hill, they searched by the river. And at last they found the little boy with the broken leg, sitting his crutches before him weeping. They asked him where the other children had gone, where had the piper taken them, but the boy shook his head. He hadn't been able to keep up. They'd gone ahead without him and... and they'd gone. The guards led the boy back to the town, the only child they'd been able to find. And in the whole of Hamlin, that town that was once so full of children, there were now only two left, both weeping. The little boy with the broken leg and the little baby of the Lord Mayor's wife, both crying that they had not been able to go and join in the dance. And that night all of Hamlin wept. A hundred and thirty children had followed the piper and his tune. A hundred and thirty children were never seen again. Pay the piper, or he shall call the next tune.